Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones woke up in the middle of the night. He noticed that the tape recorder next to his bed a long time ago, so the tape cassette, when you would press record, would wind, and when it hit the end, it would stop. Now, maybe you've seen these in a museum or something of that nature. As he looked, it had wound to the end. He didn't remember exactly why or what happened, so he ran it back, and when he ran it back, there was a riff along with these words, quote, I can't get no satisfaction, end quote. Originally a line from a Chuck Berry song titled 30 Days, this led to the 1965 songs that placed the Rolling Stones on the map. It was a number one song in both the U.S. and the U.K., and Rolling Stones magazine in 2004 placed it in the number two spot on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Now, that must mean the lyrics to this song are incredibly well-written, right? It, it must mean that there's some inspirational words that would cause your English professors to say, wow. So let's put on our English professor hat for just a moment and listen to a few of the lyrics from this song. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no I can't get no. Starting off pretty good, right? <laughs> when I'm driving to my car and the man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no, oh no, no, no. Hey, 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 that's what I say. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Cause I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no. You get the point of where I'm going with this, right? Uh, how many of you recognize the error in the title of this song? It, it is a double negative to start off with. So I can't get no satisfaction means you can, but then the song's about how you can't, and so the whole song is, is self-defeating in and of itself. So sometimes you have to wonder, what in the world is going on here? I mean, okay, good beat, good musicians, I get it. But what grade would you give these lyrics? The second greatest song of all time? Give me a break, really? This is it? So it's not the words. It's not how well they are crafted or chosen. So what is it? Well, perhaps it's the message that resonates with the human condition. Because try as though we might, through various activities of this world and various means, they all leave us wanting, unsatisfied. We listen to the lies of the evil one that this will satisfy or this will satisfy or something else or something over here. And we try those things only to find out that even after obtaining whatever it is, there's an unsatisfied feeling left. So today I have used can't get no satisfaction in its proper sense of the double negative to communicate to you that we can as Christians indeed find satisfaction in Christ. Not in the things of this world, which leave us unsatisfied, but only by replacing the lie of the devil that satisfaction comes in the temporal things of this world by recognizing that true satisfaction, true contentment, true identity comes in Christ and in Christ alone. There's a longing in our souls that can only be filled by the eternal God who died on our behalf. John Piper has famously said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we look for satisfaction in food, finances, power, prestige, romance, materialism, or anything else of this world, 
All we find is despair and hopelessness. And yet when we look to Christ, we find contentment. So we must learn the lessons of this text and the Bible to use discernment to demonstrate wisdom and discipline in life. This will lead us to seek satisfaction in Christ alone. We must use discernment to demonstrate wisdom and discipline in life. And this will lead us to find our satisfaction in Christ alone. Proverbs chapter 23, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings and flies like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but in his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Dear Lord, I pray that as we look at this text, we would encounter you and learn more about you, learn more about discipline in our own lives and how we can glorify you and find our true satisfaction only in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. So we are in Proverbs. We are in the latter portions of Proverbs, and we look at a list of sayings, and we pick up this list of sayings in chapter 23, and we're going to look at three different sayings this morning. As we look at these three, we're going to talk about discernment with food to start off with, discernment in the pursuit of wealth, and then discernment with an invitation, lastly. So we begin by looking at chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. The scene is a dinner party with a ruler. Uh, the admonition is to pay careful attention to how you conduct yourselves. To state it concisely is do not be greedy with the generosity of the ruler. You should not be greedy with the generosity of the ruler. Wisdom conveys that often when we show up to such dinner parties, there is much more going on than what may first appear to the eye. In verse 2, it tells us in a twist of irony, instead of taking the knife and putting it to the food, the text tells us to take a knife and put it to your throat if you are given to appetite. In other words, it's saying we must use discernment and discipline when it comes to dining at such events as these. These are, quote, deceptive delicacies. And you'll note there in verse three, a repeated phrase, do not desire his delicacies, which occurs again in verse six, do not desire his delicacies. So we must use discernment and discipline in the human life. What does it mean to be given to appetite? That's a really nice way of saying it. Some of you perhaps are using the NIV this morning and it uses the word gluttony. We don't like the word gluttony. Uh, even the word glutton as it comes off of our tongue just has this negative guttural connotation to it that strikes in us. And we know that at times, most if not all of us are given to gluttony. And so we don't like it. We don't wanna talk about it. Chances are you've heard very few sermons on it. The New Living Translation paraphrases this as, quote, a big eater, end quote. Uh, we can tolerate that a little better because sometimes there's like a masculinity in I'm a big eater, I can eat more than you can eat, 
It's a bravado that's not a helpful bravado, but sometimes we could tolerate that. But the message, which is a dynamic equivalent, it's a text that could be helpful to us, but it doesn't go straight from the original languages straight over. It puts it more in the common language, and this is what it says, quote, don't gobble your food, don't talk with your mouth full, and don't stuff yourself, bridle your appetite, end quote. That's probably taking a little bit of liberties uh, with the Hebrew text as it is there, but it communicates to us. Don't gobble up your food. Slow down. We've all heard moms and dads say this at some point in time. Don't talk with your mouth full. I use this one regularly. Don't talk with your mouth full. I don't have anything in my mouth. Well, why not? You're at the dinner table. Eat, put something in your mouth. Then don't talk with your mouth full. That's an introvert's way of parenting well. I'm only slightly kidding here, as my wife knows. And don't stuff yourself. Oh, how often do we do that? bridle your appetite. The wild horse running free has a bridle put on it so that it becomes controllable and useful. And as we engage in food, do we eat as though we are a wild horse gorging ourselves until we feel sick or do we bridle our appetite? Proverbs condemns the out of control appetite of the glutton. Look at some of these verses. Proverbs 23, later on in this chapter, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards, or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here the drunkard and the glutton, those who do not have control or discipline in life, are compared to those who will have poverty, to those who slumber and sleep repeatedly. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. It's sweet. It's good. Don't eat so much of it that you get sick. Maybe honey doesn't communicate to us as well in our society. We, we probably don't associate it with the thing that we, we love the most. So perhaps mint chocolate chip ice cream at Chuck's would be a better phrase to communicate. Insert your favorite sweet dessert that you gorge yourself on in that verse. Proverbs 25, 27. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 7. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Now, as we talk about the one given to appetite or the one who is gluttonous or the one who has gluttony as a temptation, we have to notice there's a difference between being a glutton and being obese. We can't look at someone's outward appearance and immediately judge their heart or what's going on inside when we don't know them. And so there are many reasons that someone may struggle with weight. There are medical conditions that prevent exercise. There are medical conditions that affect the metabolism. There are economic conditions in some cases which cause people to have to eat cheap food. And cheap food, typically by definition, is McDonald's drive through and it's not healthy. And so that harms some people from being able to eat healthy. In addition to medical conditions that prevent exercise, some may just have a low metabolism. So let's not prejudge somebody just by exterior looks. It could be a lack of discipline in eating, exercise, and balance in life, but it may not be. We must also realize that we can look at somebody who on the outside looks very healthy. They might be super skinny. They might be skinny fat, so to speak. They might eat with horrendous habits and still be skinny because of an incredible metabolism. And while some of us may look at them with jealousy and envy, that too can be a problem for them. No matter where you are, 
Note that too much attention given to food is a spiritual problem, and that can affect those who are gluttons and those on the other end of the spectrum in anorexia and bulimia and worried about other items. So one of the issues we have to watch as Christians is having too much attention given to food. Now, many of us turn to food in times of stress or comfort. How many of you will admit that you turn to food in times of stress or comfort? All right, and some of you are either not dealing with temptations I deal with or you're just lying. So I'm guilty as charged. And it usually identifies itself, raises itself up in my life in the spring semester. Fall semester is usually pretty good. I've had the summer to prepare. Things are okay. Spring semester comes. There's not enough time to prepare. So here's one way it manifests itself in my life. I find myself sitting at the table where I work with the two screens on my laptop. And right next to me is a comfort food. For me, when I'm working late at night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, whatever it may be, there's a bag of Smarties or Sweet Tarts right there. Now, it's not because I think they make me smarter. It's just because they taste so good. I mean, I, I can eat a whole bag while I'm working on one sermon sitting there. That's not healthy. And it's not wise. And I know it's not wise. And I know it's not good. So why do I crave them? It's a temptation in my life. And I usually end up gaining about 10 pounds in the spring that I have to work off in the summer because of bad eating habits. After big stressful events, or when things just don't go my way, if I'm honest about it, I crave comfort food. Any of you crave comfort food? So for some of you, it may be Waffle House or Cracker Barrel, Mama's Kitchen. For me, comfort food is a double cheeseburger a chocolate milkshake, and an endless basket of french fries. Yeah. I don't know that that's a good thing, but this is just being honest. So I start craving, and I find myself on days when I'm down, days when I'm frustrated, days when I'm overly stressed out, I start craving places like Red Robin. And I want the big milkshake. And no, I'm not sharing. Kids, if you want one, you got to get your own because I'm drinking all of this thing, right? It's all mine. Or smash burger. And yes, I want what they put in the cup and what's still left in the canister. It's all mine, right? Five guys, give me a large order of Cajun fries. I, I can eat the whole big bag of a large order of Cajun fries if you get me in the right mood. I like them spicier the better and a little bit of ketchup just to cool that burning sensation on your tongue at the right moment and wash it down with some soda that's not good for me either. EO Burger, if you're going to the green. I can even deal with other places like Steak and Shake. I, I, I can handle like three of their burgers because they're smaller, right? So we could just triple them up or something. Or Wendy's, Dave's Triple. Dave's triple, it, it's just like way too much meat. You just get the bun to help hold it together, right? And then you get a large chocolate frosty. I don't, I don't really care about their fries that much. So I can do the large frosty and the Dave's triple comfort food. So this is confession time. Now you know why I gained 10 pounds in the spring semester typically, right? So this year I'm trying to do something different. I'm trying to recognize these temptations in my own life and I'm trying to make some changes so that that won't happen again. It's not near as much fun, but it's healthier for me. We must recognize that food is a good gift from God that we should enjoy. 
But when the enjoyment of food challenges, replaces, or overcomes Christ as our supreme affection, then we have a spiritual issue. We must recognize that food is a good gift from God. We should enjoy it. But when the enjoyment of food challenges, replaces, or overcomes Christ as our supreme affection, then we have a spiritual issue. In my life, what this looks like is turning to food first rather than Christ to deal with a problem, a desire, a need, a disappointment. And that's a spiritual issue. And when I sense that in my heart, I should repent of that. I should be wise about how I do that. I should make sure that I'm not exalting food to a place it doesn't deserve in my life. Now, don't hear me say food is bad. We see all throughout the scripture, different feasts that are held for good reasons. We even look forward to the supper, the marriage supper. And so food is a good thing. And God has given us the enjoyment of food, the ability to taste food, the ability to be creative with food. But food has to have its proper place. So in our lives, we should have good stewardship. We should have good stewardship of our bodies and what we put into them so that we can be as healthy as possible and regularly exercise. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't exercise in life, your muscles begin to deteriorate and go away. And so I encourage you to have good stewardship. Discipline also in one area of life overflows into many areas of life. So I find when I work out hard, I usually eat better because I start looking at how long it takes me to work out to burn off one of those large chocolate Frosties and I realize it's not worth that much effort, right? Discipline then overflows into other areas of life such as your spiritual life. It's hard to serve others when you yourself are in bad health. When you're in bad health, you're the one that's being served. So in order for us to serve well, like Christ served us, we need to try to be in good health. And I would encourage you as students getting ready to go out into the job place, the job market and workforce, that leadership books encourage employers when hiring to take workers out to eat as part of the interview process. Now, this is the way it typically happens. They'll tell you, let's go out to dinner. The interview's over. The interview's done. We're just going to go out and get to know each other and enjoy time, right? Okay, first off, that's a lie. The interview is never over. The interview is still going on. And when you're out to dinner with them, these leadership books tell you certain things like watch to see if they salt their food before tasting their food. Because if they salt their food before tasting their food, it could indicate that they make decisions without having all the information. They should want to taste the food before they salt their food. So when I interviewed for this job here at Cedarville University, I went out and I tasted my food before I salted my food. I knew I was going to salt it anyway, because I've never tasted a food that had enough salt on it. But because I'd read the leadership books, I knew, all right, be wise here, right? So they do certain things like that. These leadership books will tell you to watch somebody when you're out on this interview, and if they begin eating immediately before you take a bite of your food, maybe that demonstrates they don't have patience or self-control or restraint in their own life. And so you should wait on the host to take the bite first, the proper etiquette, the proper manners. And some of these interview books will even tell you to do this. As the manager, Prearrange with the restaurant you're taking the person to to mess up the order. Whatever they order, don't bring them that, bring them this. And when they bring them this, the whole point of it is to watch and see how you handle the waitress or the waiter when they bring you the wrong food. Because if you get mad and blow off at the top of your head and blow off some steam, then they know immediately this person's given to anger. If you don't treat them with respect, if you don't say thank you, if you don't do those things, they get a view into your character. And so that in a practical setting demonstrates there's more going on at a mill than what may first appear. Our text here is telling us there may be more going on at this mill than what may first appear. So if you're like me and you struggle with things like this, weight, eating, 
gluttony, all of these things. What can you do to help? I'll tell you some things that are helping me right now. I'm using MyFitnessPal. It's an app, it's free, track your eating. You track your eating, you can hit the button. It tells you about your macros, whether you've had enough calories and carbohydrates and protein and in fat and how you manage all those. As I track that, I find out that I look to see what some foods actually have in them and decide they're not quite worth what they're gonna put into my body. Second, I would say to you, fasting is biblical. We don't talk an awful, awful lot about fasting, but one of the reasons we fast is because it shows us we can really do without food for at least a short period of time. Now, maybe you have a medical condition and you can't fast, you need to eat regularly, you can still fast from a particular food or from other things that often consume us, like technology, video games, shopping, you pick your list. And if you fast from those things, it demonstrates discipline and self-control that helps us resist temptation. Finally, I would say to you, it's about progress, not perfection. Food, exercise, how we live our lives, good stewards. You can't allow exercise or eating healthy to become an idol that then you think about too much so that you replace God in that way either. And if you spend more time on these things than you do the spiritual disciplines of seeking God in your life, that can indicate a problem. All right, enough on that. That was the long point this morning, two short points after this. And I'll see you all in the gym right after chapel. Second point, discernment with the pursuit of wealth. We see this in verses four and five. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Verse four does not indicate to us there's anything wrong with properly earned wealth. What this verse is telling us is that if you have wealth as the end goal of life in mind, that's a problem. If you wanna work really hard to pursue this satisfaction in wealth, then what you're gonna find is that satisfaction will never come in wealth alone. Once you have it, all you're doing is looking at others using it and you have more to manage and all of these things happen, all the stresses of life come on you and your eyes light on it and then it disappears and like an eagle, it flies off to heaven and there it goes. Easy come, easy go. Or working really hard for an idol in your life to watch God tear down that idol. So let's look at what Proverbs tells us about wealth and about pursuing it in ungodly ways. Proverbs 12, 12 says this. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Proverbs 16, 8 says, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. You'll be more satisfied if you have just a little bit in life and do it the right way than great revenues through bad means. Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor man than divide the spoil with the proud. Boy, isn't this a counter-cultural verse in our day and time. It's better for us to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 30, seven through nine. This is one of my favorites. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and being full, then deny you and say, who is the Lord? Lest I have so much that I trust in what I have and not in the Lord, or lest I be so poor and still and profane the name of my God. In other words, the prayer is, God, give me just what I need and let me depend on you to give me what I need. 
Point number three, discernment with an invitation. Verses six through eight. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. A man who is stingy, a stingy person, a greedy person, a person who counts all that he has. Do not eat their bread. Do not desire his delicacies. Repeated here from verse three. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. On the outside, he may say, eat and drink, exclamation point here. He says this to us, but in his heart, he is not with us. With every bite, with every consumption, he's calculating the cost. In this scenario, you will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten. We return to another dining experience. We are not told whether this was by invitation only or whether we invited ourselves to this dining experience. But whatever happens, we understand that we are to know that this person is a stingy person. This person is a greedy person and we must not desire his delicacies. While on the outside, he says, eat and drink. Inside, perhaps even in his body language or in the emotions of his face, the lack of enjoyment over what's taking place, you sense that his heart is not with us. In fact, the heart is taking notes. Every single bite is more. Every single drink is more. His blood pressure rises. His anger increases. His bitterness grows. And one day that will come back to haunt us. Verse eight indicates to us that what we consume will not be sweet, but it will come back to bite us. These words which we have exchanged will be wasted on a person who has a grudge against the consumption that they invited us to partake of. This is a false invitation. We must have discernment to sense when this is taking place. Not everybody that invites you to enjoy the things that they have really want you to enjoy the things that they have. And as a wise follower of Christ, we must seek to be wise in this case too and refrain from enjoying the false gifts of a greedy person. Good theology will drive good decision-making. We understand stewardship. We understand sinfulness of mankind, our own sinfulness first and foremost, and that that flows to all people. We understand moderation is what scripture encourages. We understand greed and what it can cause. So we pray and we seek to use each opportunity for influence wisely as we encounter and serve others. So in conclusion, let's look at a few more verses here. Proverbs 27.20 says this, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. We know this is true. This is why we have commercials on television. They show us something and it appeals to our eyes to tell ourselves that we must have it. Whether it's the latest fashion trends, whether it's the newest car, whether it's the latest technology, whether it's the coolest new gadgets, whether it's the Black Friday sales, Whatever it is, it appeals to our materialism. It appeals to our eyes who are never satisfied. Even if we are not given to idolatry in materialism, we sense this well up in us on occasions. And this should indicate to us what's in our heart as we consistently evaluate where we are spiritually with Christ. As we see things and we sense that urge, I just have to have it. I don't care if I don't have the money for it. I don't care if I don't need it. I just have to have it. In that heart's desire, there's something saying, I'm gonna be satisfied by this material possession and to us, that should be a word of caution. Doesn't mean we don't enjoy nice things. It just means we keep them in their proper place. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters. Give 
and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the grave, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. We've seen wildfires here recently in our own country. A wildfire that goes and goes and consumes and destroys and has no satisfaction in anything that it has destroyed, but it continues to roll on and on across the plains, consuming everything in its path until it is quenched by water. Are your desires, whether they be for food, whether they be for wealth, whether it be for money, whether it be for power, whether it be for pleasure in this life, materialism, prestige, whatever your desires of your heart are, are they like the wildfire? If so, guard your heart because you will not find satisfaction in those earthly temporal desires of the heart. You find your satisfaction in Christ alone. Let's look at Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the most important part of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord brings us hope. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it, Whoever has that fear of Yahweh, whoever has that acceptance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has it rest satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. So what's the point of our text here? Our text tells us to use discernment to demonstrate wisdom and discipline in life. The text presses us to discernment, to have discipline, so that we will have discernment when it comes to food, Discernment when it comes to riches and how we evaluate invitations. The text presses us to replace the lies of the devil, the lies of the evil one, that you will be satisfied and find satisfaction in these earthly temporal things to the truth, which is we will only find satisfaction for our souls in Christ and in Christ alone. So as you go through life, as you evaluate your own life and where you are spiritually, if you sense that urge, as we all do from time to time, to lean into material possessions, to find satisfaction there. Let's return to the scripture. Let's return to our Bible reading, our meditation, our memorization, our focus on Christ, to realize that these things bring us no pleasure that is lasting. These things do not bring us satisfaction. Christ alone brings us satisfaction. Dear Lord, as we come before you, I confess there are times in my own life where I seek comfort or satisfaction in the things of this earth. Lord, I pray that you would help me. I pray also for our students, for our faculty and our staff that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit, to realize when these temptations come to us. Lord, to be quick to repent, to confess, to seek help in others. When these temptations arise, to put them to death quickly, Lord, and not let them take root in our hearts. Lord, not to believe the lies that the evil one would have us to pursue these things, but to seek the truth and that you are what satisfies. And Lord, may we pursue you. And Lord, as we are satisfied in you, may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.